I'm Ed Randall, and you're listening to Baseball and Barbecue. This is Greg Lazinski, and you're listening to Baseball BBQ. Hi, this is Gary Mack of the Mets Musings Podcast, and you're listening to Jeff and Len on Baseball and Barbecue, one of my favorite podcasts, and I know it's one of yours, too. The only problem is, after I get done listening to it, I'm hungry. All right, guys, take it away. Welcome to episode number 54 of Baseball and Barbecue. We are so happy to have you join us. And tonight we've got a couple of special guests. The first of which is on the phone now, so I don't want this guy to wait because he's like royalty. You will not you would you make would you make the Queen of England wait? No, I, I wouldn't, but by the way, uh who 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 are you? <laughs> oh that's right, I forgot. I'm Len Aberman and you are I'm Jeff Cohen. That I I told you we can't wait can wait and <laughs> anyway, all right. So we have on the phone Gary Mack, and we're gonna, he, he's going to rant about Rob Manfred and basically ruin our chances of ever getting him on the show. But before he does, Gary, why don't you tell us about your, your new show with Rich Baxter? With Rich Baxter and, and your golf podcast. Well, guys, hello, and, and thanks for having me on. Of course, you know I do Mets music about the Mets, and, and I'm doing a golf show called Talking Golf with Gary, and I have guests on occasionally, and we recap the week in uh, the golf world, what happened, who's hot, who's not, that sort of thing, and what's coming up. And I'm doing an old new show, if you will. Uh, Rich Baxter and I have done for a number of years. Rich has his own show, the Fight Phillies podcast. He is a Phillies uh, podcaster, and uh, him and I did a show called the Baseball Talk Radio Show, and we put it on hiatus for a while. We both kind of got busy with different things. And, and we're back, and we've got uh, two new episodes out. And it's available on anchor.fm slash baseball talk radio show. And if you go check it out, we'd appreciate it. It's a terrific show. It's uh, Rich and I talking about the entire world of baseball, everything from the majors, uh, any news in the minor leagues we talk about. We even talk about Major League food. That seems to be one of our favorite topics. We oh, to get into that. I like that. Topic. Uh, yeah. Not 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 on the extent that you guys do, but it is a story about some new food being offered at the stadium. We try to cover it, and it's a lot of fun. And uh, Rich is a great host and a good friend, and and I think you'll all enjoy it. So the Baseball Talk Radio Show is back on the air. If you listened to it before, Rich and I are back. Excellent, excellent. And, and you know, uh, your second episode, you were talking about Rob Manfred, and you went on a little rant, and I go, this would be great for our show, because it is, you know, it's not Mets, Mets or, or Phillies related, it's all baseball, and Rob Manfred, in my opinion, is just not doing right by the by the great game of baseball, and, and what do you think about that? Well, I, I, you know, you know me, Jeff, we've talked numerous times about this, and I think Rob Manfred is a cancer to the game. I think he's the worst commissioner possibly in the history of the game. He's ruining the game of baseball. He's got these stupid ideas that actually, in a way, if you think about it, contradicts himself. 
you know, he did this vindictive thing against the on the scandal, and I knew he ha- I know he has to do something. Uh, I'm not saying that the Astros should get away, but to come out with a report, and you know, the politicians and uh, leaders in these major sports are good at this. They put out a report and. They innocently drop people's names in there that they want to prosecute, but they may not be able to get to. Case in point, in, with this report, is that he had come out and said, I'm not going to prosecute, not going to suspend any players involved. So what does he do? He goes out and puts out this report, and he puts in there about a group of players, including Carlos Beltran, Beltron was the only player named in this report, and it just so happened that he was the manager of the Mets at the time. So, of course, it kind of backed the Mets into a corner, put pressure on them, and they caved. They should have uh, held the line, but they caved, and they worked out something with Beltron where they, they said he, re, you know, it was a mutual agreement. But uh, to me, he was fired, and uh, I, I think it was all... Rob Manfred's hand was on it. It's got his grimy, greasy fingerprints all over it. It's his way of doing business. But the man is just bad for the game of baseball. I mean, he's trying to save 30 seconds off of each game. And then he wants to turn around and bring in the designated hitter and and all this other nonsense, which is going to increase the time of games. So I have no idea what he's doing. I don't think he knows what he's doing. You know, he's starting to make Bud Seeley look terrific. <laughs> and, yeah, and I, I wasn't a fan of Bud Seeley myself. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I know Bud Seeley had the steroid scandal and all of that, but Bud Seeley had a certain cachet, too, with the players and the, the owners that this guy doesn't have. And that's because Selig was an owner, and then he was sort of the, in the member of the club. And, you know, he could get away with a lot more stuff, but the game really progressed under Selig. It really grew to, you know, to a billion dollars. Yeah, but was, was that because of interleague play and extra layer of, 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 of playoffs and all that? Yeah. Yeah. Gary, Rob Manfred, <laughs> I'm going to play devil's advocate, Rob Manfred. He, he really, he works for the owners, right? He's, he's basically an employee of the owners. So if the owners were not happy with the way he's handling things, don't you think that he would hear about it? Yes and no. I mean, if it's not bothering their wallet yet, you're not going to hear about it. And if then they're quiet, you know, the owners are pretty usually pretty quiet about stuff. You really don't hear a lot of stuff comes out until it's, near the end or like you know where they're trying to get rid of a commissioner of uh of baseball but yeah but gary the, the will ponds right i'm sure they weren't too thrilled if if what you're saying you know with beltron and the fact yeah. that they then had to jump in and beltron goes away they have to get another manager there was some you know controversy you know it didn't look good don't you think the Wilpons would, they're pretty influential in the whole thing. Do you think they would have gone and said, you know, Rob, baby, this ain't working. Come on. No, no, not necessarily. Right. Because the Wilpons are, uh, 
Uh, like, you know, they were C-League's uh, buddies, mm-hmm. and, and MLB's got something on them. You know, they they could have forced them to sell a team when they, you know, it's a report that they're $350 million in debt, mm-hmm. the Mets are, mm-hmm. uh, and, and they're not getting they're not really getting pressured as far as we know. They, they, you know, came out about Cohen and all of this, but it's not a real pressure thing like what happened with the Dodgers where, you, you know, it was like they put a gun to the guy's head and say you get 30 days or else. So, and, you know, if they were friends with C-League and Manfred was a C-League guy and trained under him, not very well, uh, but trained under him, and maybe he's a Wilpon guy as well, and, and it might take a little time. And maybe they were glad. You, you know, we don't know. They don't like controversy to Wilpons mm-hmm. either. So right. maybe when Manfred named him, this gave them the out that they were looking for to get rid of Beltron because uh, he was the first, uh, what was it, first uh, Latin American manager uh, the Mets had or the first, yeah, the first Latin right. uh, guy to manage the Mets and, you know, you don't want to get rid of them without ever managing a game, even though they hired another one. You right. still don't want to get rid of him right away, plus with his name. But this gave them the out. To It also gave them the out to if they want to bring him back in a year or two when things quiet down. So I think that's, you know, I don't know if that was part of the equation, but I, I don't think necessarily that, they would be upset about it because they, they gave them a way to handle the situation in a different manner. Yeah, well, let me get, let's get back to Bob Manfred. And I want to ask you a question on his bringing in automatic umpires or the automatic strike zone. Is he trying to get rid of all umpires? Well, you know, that's an interesting thing. I think they just signed a uh, an agreement with the umpires. And, you know, the umpires union wanted to make it known that is it is not going to, uh, they're not going to count it, per se, during the game. They're just going to experiment with it during the spring training games that they're going to try it with. And I believe in one of the leagues they're going to try it. It's not going to, they're not going to use it, per se. They're just going to use it and match it with the other umpires, the regular human umpires. Uh, this is what I believe came out from the umpires union, which seems to me like a waste of time and and uh, the most, you know, a stupid kind of thing to do, but this is what they uh, have decided to do. Uh, yeah, again, uh, I, I mean, he's ranted against technology here with what the Astros did, and yet they're embracing it on another level. I mean, how, what kind of security are they going to have if they ever went to anything like this? Could you imagine some kid in his basement Hacking into the MLB robo umps and you know pitches over a guy's head. The robo umps are calling it a, a strike. <laughs> or cause, you know this kid hacked into you it. Know what? Russia, Russia. Yeah, Russia. Anyway. Russia is influencing our baseball. Stay away. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, 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 just, I, you know, I just, I think it's a stupid idea. It's. Uh, uh, it goes along with the stupid idea of putting somebody on second base, oh, an extra a, inning game. That's the worst they idea. Find the league. And, uh, I mean, they did it. They did it in the New York Penn League with the Cyclones, and uh, they did it in the Atlantic you know, League. And, yeah. and he, uh, you know, and that's another thing. He wants to contract 
42 teams in the, in the line of the league that uh, if you're looking to grow the game, why do you want to take it away from communities that that's their only out? I think I think because they want to. I think because they want to pay the minor leagues more, and the only way to do that is to get rid of uh, teams so they have more, in the, which is really stupid. Just baseball, such a billion dollars, you know, pay them a little more, give them a living wage. Give them a little more, yeah. I mean, it, they don't have to pay them that much more. Just just give them a little bit more. Yeah. They're giving them the dream. And I understand a lot of these guys, you know, I think we talked about it, uh, Jeff, you and I attended a game, the uh, Cyclones game this summer, and I think when we sit there, we talked about it, how half of these guys, this is their dream, this, and this is where it ends. Yeah. This, it, yeah. this is not going to go any further than this field, this, this single-A field, but at least they play professional baseball, and they want to get rid of those guys, I guess, but... You know, the fear is with that, you get rid of a Jeff McNeil maybe gets overlooked. Right. Or a Pete Rose. Right. Or uh, somebody that's not, you know, a, a 300 hitter or a yeah, uh, a guy that hits the ball 500. Right. Rick, Rick you might overlook those kind of guys. Uh, Mike Piazza might get overlooked. The Keith Hernandez. Yeah, well, uh, Greg Maddox wouldn't be drafted today, that's for sure. Yeah. So... You know, it's it's a, it's a fine line, and and it's really incredible. So yes, they want to pick the cream of the crop, more of the guys that have a chance to get to professional baseball. But you also want to uh, you want to have the game. You know, I, I've gone to games upstate, minor league games in, in Hudson Valley and uh, in the New York Penn League, and they play. They are an affiliate of the Tampa Bay Rays. But when you go to a game there, the people aren't necessarily rooting for the team. They're not Tampa Bay Ray fans. They're Mets fans. They're Yankee fans because they're New York people. But they're Hudson Valley fans. So they're rooting for that team. You're going to take that away. Right. It's, a good, it's the only thing in town. <laughs> right. And now with, nowadays, with, with the options that people have things to do, you're going to take the interest away from baseball, professional baseball, and that's that's really a shame if if you contract and and just to save a couple of million dollars. I don't, and then he's talking about this dream league. Well, what's the cost of the dream league that's going to be MLB supported? What is that going to cost in comparison to what you're going to save? It's going to yeah. cost the same. Just leave it the way it is. Absolutely. And, and speaking about making a dream, you know, he also has now getting in bed with gamblers. Now, the game yeah. is so, you can't gamble in baseball. You know, obviously, it's a number one rule. We all know about Pete Rose. But now it's it's okay to gamble? What What, what is going on here? Well, that, that's another thing, you know. Uh, Pete Rose is out. Uh, of the Hall of Fame and, and out of baseball's good graces because of gambling. And every year at spring training, they give the players the big talk about gambling. And yet, they're in bed, as you say. And uh, I think they own half of uh, either DraftKings or one of those type of things. And, all right, they want to tell you it's not betting, it's it's fantasy league. That's bull crap. We all know it's betting. You're putting up money to win money. That's betting. You know, they're not going to give it to you at 
the end of a month or something. You, you, your team's got to win, whoever you put in. That's betting. So, yeah, it's just like with the technology issue. They're coming down on Houston with the technology, but they introduced the technology. They put it on the field. They put it in the clubhouse with the replay. So you can't have it both ways. you either got to do one or the other because the temptation's there. If the technology's there, people are going to do it. What if a player has a draft? Is there a thing in the, in the players' union contract that they can't have a DraftKings account? But... You know, well, someday a player's going to say, but why? Well, it, can I have it? His friend, his oh. girlfriend, his wife, a kid, someone's going to have it. Yeah, I mean, it, it's got to happen somewhere. I bet I'm going to uh, strike out three times today. It, it just makes no sense. And whatever he's doing, I, you know, there are a lot of articles now coming out in the last month or two and, and a couple in the last day about Here's one. Why Major League Baseball's credibility problem is only getting worse under Commissioner Rob Manfred. There was one back in December calling for uh, his removal. So it's really not doing a good job. And I think now, you know, like uh, Len was saying before about why don't they want to get rid of him, the owners then. I think we're starting to see rumblings behind the scenes about it to uh, get rid of him. Gary, you got to stop writing all these articles. I mean, you, you have three podcasts. You're writing these articles, getting trying to get Manfred out. I mean, you're you're too busy. Well, I, I, I think I, I I don't think Rob Manfred has a friend in Gary Mack. And you know, I mean, I, I'm not his favorite either. Well, I like the guy because I want him on our podcast. Okay, here you go. <laughs> but and, I think we blew any chance of that if we even if we ever had one. And, and we actually want, we want to thank you, Gary, for being on our podcast. We appreciate it. Appreciate your time, your thoughts on Rob Manfred, on baseball. And, and people, please check out his new shows, Baseball Talk Radio Show 2.0, I would say. Mets Musings, if you're a Mets fan, if you're into golf, talking golf with Gary, it's always a great show. Check him out. And, uh, Gary, I think right now would be the time to say something very controversial so that people will tune in. You know, you gotta, you gotta do the hook. You know, say something that's gonna be like, they'll, they'll be talking about it. Come on. Give oh, us. Oh, my God. <laughs> they do the uh, show in the nude. It's too long. <laughs> <laughs> they tune in. They're naked when they do the show. Of course, it's a podcast, so you can't see it. But we gotta, we gotta get you okay. listeners. I, I want to thank you guys. You guys do, and I always tell you this, and I mean it sincerely. This is one of my favorite shows. It's a terrific show. You guys are just so natural, and you, you love what you do, and it's always, I love hanging out with you guys. It's always a lot of laughs and a lot of fun, and uh, I hope you enjoy my company as much as I enjoy yours. And, More. And uh, it's, it's always a blast, and... and Anytime you need me, if, if I'm home available, I would love to come on. And uh, I love being on your show And anytime you know that. And thank you so much. Thanks, Thanks Gary. Gary. Thanks, Gary, for joining our show. Len, what do you've got for us? Before I start, let's tell people, because I know they're gonna, they heard Gary. They heard him rant about Rob Manfred. Maybe they feel the same way. Maybe they don't, but... I certainly want to hear from them. Okay. So you hear, get in touch with us. Our voicemail is 516 855 8214. 
Email us, baseballandbbq at gmail.com. Tweet us at, our Twitter address is at baseballandbbq. We're on Instagram at baseballandbarbecue, with barbecues all spelled out. We're on YouTube. Check out our YouTube video, Lou That Foley's. Right. And get our website, www.baseballandbbq.weebly.com. Do you think that any positive, if we get anything where they're saying we love Rob Manfred, that those are people that are family members? That might be. Yeah. I'm beginning to think that might be. If you see all the articles on the internet and listening to you and Gary, it might just be that uh, the only people that seem to like him are his family, but I like him. You do? I just want him on the show. Oh, okay. is it so wrong to be no, fake I, I, because I, I want him on the no, show? No, I'd have to have him on the show. I'd, like, I'd ask him a million questions. Yeah, you'll ask him a million questions, but he, I don't think he wants to come on and get bombarded by you. Well, why not? I mean, you know, we're investigating. Like we told in our Foley's interview when... Um, Sean. Sean, thank you. When when we mentioned, because Foley's changed the name, you know, changes right. the name, and it changed when Mariano Rivera yeah. was retiring, yeah. they changed the name. And then I asked him, I think it was, I said, uh, well, are you going to change it to Derek Jeter? Because we thought he was going to get nominated. And uh, Jeff, as you're fond of saying, what was, what was uh, Sean Clancy's reaction? Not a fan. Right. <laughs> and then I said to him, if I... We were investigative reporters. We'd ask, and what did he say? Let's leave it alone. Right. <laughs> so. <laughs> All right. Anyway, you know what? It's, yes, it is, I wouldn't say middle of winter. It, it's coming toward the end. It's toward the end of February. Right. You know? but, Actually, February had the extra day this year, so. Okay. But it's still the time I don't think, yeah, the diehards are thinking about barbecue, of course. But the casual barbecue fans aren't. But that doesn't mean we're going to give barbecue a short, you know, short shrift on our show. We, I want to talk about barbecue. I, I just let's start right now. I was in Costco. You were. Went to Costco has a fantastic meat section. Uh-huh. And even though I'm not anticipating cooking anything this weekend, I still, I, I don't know what it is, but I like to look and see and plan. My future menus. Okay. And they had brisket. Uh-huh. Now, they didn't have the whole brisket. They just had the flat. And I, I prefer a whole brisket. I like the, uh, I like both parts. I like the point and the flat. But they just had the flats. I saw beef ribs. I saw pork ribs. And, oh, and the one thing. St. Louis ribs? St. Louis ribs. The one thing that I will definitely be making this summer they had porchetta. Uh, no, they had um, they had pork belly. And now they have pork belly. It's cut into sections, so it's not one section. But still, I, I've got to make that. There are so many good recipes online for that, and it just—it's like candy. I, I mean, I've had uh-huh. it, and it's just—you can't eat a lot of it if if you make it this way. I mean, it has—I think it has brown sugar or whatever, but it just looks so good. Anyway. So, uh, what else did I see? Well, of course, they had chicken. How about corned beef? And you're going to make a, a pastrami? Yes, now. That's true. Because St. Patty's Day is coming up. Yes. Perfect time. That's right. Perfect time. Corned beef will be on sale. And it's it's a shortcut to go corned beef to pastrami instead of taking a, a brisket and brining it for a couple of weeks 
and then going the next step. And I learned this from Meathead, uh-huh. from Amazing Ribs. Hopefully, we'll be on this podcast. He did say that he would come on, uh-huh. so hopefully he will. I, I mean, I'm sure he will, but we haven't booked him yet. And he had a shortcut on his website. It's AmazingRibs.com. Look it up. He says it's corned beef. No, I'm sorry, pastrami that he thinks is as close to Katz's, which is a deli in Manhattan. Right. Okay. Yep. As he can get. And basically, you take the you take the corned beef that you. So St. Patty's Day is a perfect time, and you have to take. I wasn't even going to go here, but. You take the corned beef, put it in water. It's called desalinating, and then you have to keep have to keep emptying the water. By the way, doesn't matter how many days you have it in the water if you don't keep emptying the water. And the more you empty the water out, the clearer the water will become because you want to get the salt out. It's okay. very salty. Right. And then, of course, you'll follow the directions and. You'll there's coriander and pepper and all that, and you'll, you know, that's for the rub on the outside, and you'll smoke it on your smoker, and the next thing you know, you'll have really good pastrami. Cool. Okay, but that's, you know, amazingribs.com, and uh, if you want more information on that, that's where you should look. Maybe we'll talk about that at another time. Okay. All right. So, Jeff, you know, we get books from, uh, from publishers. One of the publishers that we received a book from, the publisher is not important, but the name of the book is called Smoked. It's by Ed Randolph. Now, I don't know if I ever mentioned this book on the show. I want to get Ed Randolph on the show. The book itself. The book, it's a heavy book. It's a paperback. Yeah. But it's, uh, it's heavy. It says it's called Smoked, One Man's Journey to Find Incredible Recipes, Standout Pitmasters, and the Stories Behind Them. Okay. You know, we talk about barbecue and the food. Barbecue is one of those things that's got a history. Yeah. The people yeah. that make it, the regions where it is, it's not it's not just the food. Uh-huh. It's the people behind it. I mean, here's a perfect example. You just opened up to this. Blue Smoke in Manhattan. All right, Blue Smoke is in Manhattan. And it talks about the pit master and it shows you some pictures and it even gives you a recipe uh-huh. grilled scallion salsa verde nice and then cream spinach i mean the book starts with buxton hall barbecue in asheville north asheville north carolina okay right north, and then, north carolina right <laughs> what was that accent i don't, I don't know All right. smoked whole chicken with red sauce chicken bog bog and it has the it has the recipes these are specialties of these places then you've got Hometown Barbecue, which actually is in Brooklyn, New York. I which think Sean Ludwig, I think, talked about that one. Yes, yes. Cause it's supposed to be a great place. You've got uh, next Sam Jones Barbecue in Winterville, North Carolina. I'm sensing a pattern here. North Carolina. Yeah. Barbecued baked beans. Okay. okay. Hometown Team Barbecue. This is in Charleston, South Carolina. South Carolina. And it has pictures. I still don't know that accent. It's pictures. Uh, beef ribs with adobo, charred corn esquites. Then this one. Oh, here we go. Where's this? Mississippi. <laughs> okay. And it has. It, it's not just meat in this book. But like this has this recipe drawn has Ooh. Bloody Mary cucumber salad. That sounds good. Yeah. If you're a Bloody Mary fan. Yeah. 
And so it's not just meat. This book is a fantastic book. It's Georgia, Atlanta, Georgia. Right, Fox, Fox Brothers, Brothers, Fox Brothers Barbecue in Atlanta, Georgia. So it's kind of, uh, you know what, this is kind of like that uh, Diners, Dives, Drives, whatever right. that show. Okay. And some people keep that book in their car. Uh-huh. And wherever they are, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll pull it out and yep. see if they're in a place. It's kind of, you could do it with this. Here, this has smoked chicken wings, coffee rub, the devil's base rub. That's got to be hot, right? Then, look, look at this one, Nashville, Tennessee. I love the name. Love the name. <laughs> what is the name? Peg Leg Porker. Yeah, how we came up with that name, I don't know. I want to just, I just want to have him on just to ask him that question, right? So, and it has, and it has their internet sites, uh, you know, their websites, smoked green beans, peg leg pork, or barbecue sauce. Okay, so it's basically, you know, go get the book. It's called Smoked. A lot of great stuff in here. Really, a lot of great stuff. You know, and there's also a couple pic. There's a lot of pictures in here, but there was pictures of two guys that we actually met. That's right. It, Bob Trugnack and Big Mo, Mo, Big Mo Casey. Right, that's right. We we met them. As a matter of fact, when you look at that picture, you you were like, "Hey, wait a minute! I took, I, I took that picture. Maybe I took the picture." <laughs> right, and because it looks like so many pictures exactly. that we've seen of them. This is really like we are trying to do a barbecue tour, and we're doing it slowly. Right, we we went to John Brown Smokehouse. We went to. Uh, what Mor- was the last Morgan's place? Barbecue. Right, uh, right. Um, oh, we didn't go to John Brown's. We went to, wait, we, we yes, went. we went to John Brown's, we went to Morgan's, Morgan's. We went and we to went to Smokehouse. Smokehouse. Right, okay. We want to go to others. This guy has basically, and we're going to keep it local at, at, right. for now, and this guy's been all over the place. This, I mean, Teaneck, New Jersey, right, right, is a place. Of course, you've got New York. This is Mount Laurel, New Jersey. So... Pretty much, I mean, I wouldn't say every state. Here, Abington, Massachusetts. Another, another great name, Smoking Hogs BBQ. Right. Hogs is spelled H-O-G-G-Z. Right. In Massachusetts. Right. Bill Gillespie, who happens to, if, you, if you're a fan of barbecue, you'll recognize that name. And there's, a, here, Kimchi Smoke. This one's in Westwood, New Jersey. And there's that, a recipe. A, it must have an Asian flavor to it. Yep. Korean ribs. Korean ribs, right. You can't. There, there's our. There's recipes for brisket. Here's one: watermelon ribs. Oh, that sounds interesting. Yeah, sounds very interesting. I don't know. It's called Loveless Cafe in Nashville, Tennessee. Do you want to go to a cafe that's loveless? Well, I'd like to you to make uh, the the watermelon ribs. Yeah, I would like to make that too. Actually, here's one in Austin, Texas: Leroy and Lewis Barbecue. So there's a lot of. I guess what I'm saying is this book is great. The hardcore carnivore, Jess Pryles. Wow. Another name, right? Wow. So. Uh, I'm sorry, I was looking at the picture. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'd like to get her on the show too. Actually, I think, can we do that one in person? <laughs> okay, yes. <laughs> we, could, we could try and arrange that. Oh, this is one that Sean mentions a lot. Pig Beach. Pig Beach, yeah. We haven't been, and it's funny People hear that, they think that it is, you know, like, they don't realize that it's a place. Right. You know, they think it's a beach or whatever, but it's in Brooklyn. <clears throat> Excuse me, there's a lot of barbecue places in Brooklyn, if you notice. And there's here's a recipe for butter cake. So. And if you want Len to to make these recipes and send it to you, just give us a call. 516-855-8214. Give us an uh, email. Baseball and BBQ at gmail.com. 
Yeah, we'll start a catering service. I'll continue. Sorry. That's okay. You know where to get to tweet us at Baseball and BBQ, Instagram, YouTube, uh, website. So You know what this book shows you? And then I'm going to end it with this book. That when you think of barbecue, it's the meats, it's the sides, and it's the desserts. Right. Right? And the meats, even ribs. You know, you might make your standard ribs that everybody loves and you use the same rub all the time and you use the same sauce all the time and I'm a, I I'm the same that's that's what I end up doing because you know you got to switch it up you have to switch it up but you know what happens is everybody you, you buy these ribs and then everybody likes a certain way and then if you're worried what if I do it a different way and then oh they don't like it well maybe they like it right or but that's where you experiment before the company comes yeah that's right but anyway so, great book Go get the book. It's called Smoked. By, by Ed Randolph. Ed Randolph. And he it says he's the owner of Handsome Devil Barbecue. Okay. All right, Len. Let's get back to a little baseball. When you were a kid, did you collect baseball cards? Oh, yeah, I did. I, I loved doing that. I really did. Then it became big business. Right. And then it was, uh, you know, got a little older. You go away from it. But sometimes every once in a while, I go back and take a look, see old baseball cards. I used to love that stuff. Love. I can still remember the smell when you opened the single packet, uh-huh. Topps cards, right. and it had the piece of gum, which was, you know, of course, rock solid, you know, right. it was that, but that smell. There's that certain smell when you first opened that pack, that single pack of cards. Yes, and if you got a player from your favorite team, oh, you were in... You were thrilled. Yeah. It didn't matter thrilled. if the player was any good. No. Right? All I would look for, so for me... It was Mets. Right. You know, and actually back then I collected Yankee cards too because I was like, it was a New York team. Right. So I wanted to collect Yankee cards. But a Met card, oh, forget it. It didn't matter who it was as long as it said Mets on it. Right. And I thought I was a, a, a pretty avid collector back back in the day. I remember getting the, those the cellophane three-packs mm. where it came in one long cellophane thing yes. into three sections. Right, but no gum in that. That no, was the only thing. No gum in that. Right. A lot of cards. A lot of cards. But no gum. Right. <laughs> I thought I was I was pretty av- avid collector, and you uh, thought you said... I thought I was an avid collector, too, and I would scale the cards and yeah, flip, flip the cards. cards and, and put in your bicycle. Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah. Well, guess what? We have, we, we have as a guest... Tanner Jones, and he puts us to shame. We are not, we are nothing. This guy was a collector. We're like a pimple on the pimple yes. on the pimple on the on the behind. <laughs> <laughs> I corrected myself. Yes, of a collector. Yeah, definitely. Tell you're gonna listen to this this interview with Tanner Jones. You're gonna we're gonna give you his website information. Yes, and he, I think you're gonna love it. Here's a book out called Confessions of a Baseball Card Addict. His website is Tan Man Baseball Fan. It's a really cool website. He has a lot of stuff going on it. He does. He actually has a podcast too. So check it out and take a listen to our, our interview with Tanner Jones. Baseball and BBQ. We welcome a Tanner Jones who wrote a book, Confessions of a Baseball Card Addict. Tanner. He also has a website called TanManBaseballFan.com. Welcome to Baseball and BBQ, Tanner Jones. Thank you for having me. So, Tanner, you wrote this book called Confessions of a Baseball Card Addict. What I really liked about your book, very, first of all, very interesting, but I really loved how you introduced each chapter. You had like a did you know section. 
So the one for chapter one is, did you know, ever wonder why Topps gums isn't soft? The gum was made hard intentionally so it could be mechanically inserted into the packs without buckling. I, I never knew that, and I have, I'm, I'm 58 years old, and I've I collected baseball cards when I was a kid, and I could never understand why that gum was so hard. And now you finally solved that mystery. <laughs> <laughs> you see, that's, that's what I like to hear. I like to hear that my book added value right from the get-go. Absolutely. So uh, tell us, how did you get started in baseball cards? And you must be the most successful baseball card collector I've ever read about. Uh, well, gosh, I don't know. I, I, I feel like for me, it was the same with a lot of people my age where I really just shook uh, the loving all things cardboard when I was a kid, so around 1989 or so, and the bug bit me hard then, and then so just like a lot of other people my age, we, uh, you know, you get into high school and you start getting interested in girls and that sort of thing, so I think around my teenage years, I, I walked away from the hobby. I didn't really walk away from it. I just kind of kind of fizzled out, you know, I was more interested in other things, and so then as an adult, I came back and I go, huh, I remember how much I love these parts, let me see, uh, see what there is now, and uh, I was blown away at what they had nowadays for baseball cards. I remember as a kid, baseball cards, going, we, at school, we would scale them, you know, for distance, we would, we would scale them against the wall. Right. There was, if there was a outside of the school, so that you had the windows and there was a ledge, and if you got it to, there were all these rules you made up. If you got it to lean against the wall or you got it to stay on the window ledge, that was better. Or if if you scaled a card and it was leaning up and then somebody scaled a card and yours fell on top of it. I mean, it was just, there were all rules and flipping cards. Did you do any of those things or is that, am I aging myself and, and too old. Oh, are you kidding? I actually won a, uh, a prized collection of Oral Hershiser baseball cards that way, putting up my own Jose Canseco collection for collateral, and I won every single Oral Hershiser card in this kid's collection. I was my best friend at the time. It was at my house, and his name is David, so David started crying. I'm like, shut up, kid. <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, we're both like you know, nine or something. But uh, my mom comes out. It's like, what's going on? And well, I, hey, mom, I, I won David's whole Hershiser collection. And she goes, you give those cards oh. back to David. I'm like, oh, come on, it's not fair. <laughs> so he got it back. So we did play it, but I never really, uh, never really benefited from it, unfortunately. You know, on I, I got to ask you. On first of all, the site TanManBaseballFan.com. I got lost in that site. I mean, there's. I haven't even scratched the surface of all the things you have. But what is up with the Jose Canseco obsession? You got to tell us about that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, now he was uh, growing up. He was the most captivating player. Like he was the best player on the planet for a while. And uh, you know, so that's kind of right when I was getting into uh, into baseball myself. And, uh, you know, and, and don't get me wrong, there are plenty of fantastic players. Like, the 80s had such a tremendous crop of talent. But there's something about Jose. Like, the way that he swung, if you, had, if you watched him mm-hmm. uh, hit a home run or strike out, like, nobody had more of a violent swing than he did. Oh, yeah. Like, you wouldn't, you wouldn't really necessarily stop to watch. I mean, you would, you know, for Griffey and Bo and all mm-hmm. them. Because, I mean, shoot, even Bo Jackson, like, he had... Uh, breaks the bat over his knee and everything. People love that stuff. Right. But with Jose, it was something about that 
wing. Like it was like he was he was like a superhero, uh, more supervillain, depending on which way <laughs> you think of him as. But uh, uh, it's kind of funny because as far as baseball card prices go for these guys that played in the eighties, uh, you're noticing we're noticing a lot of price spikes. Not not necessarily just spikes just recently, but they they're up really high for these guys. Like Will Clark, Albert Bell, Jose Canseco, Mark McGuire, these guys that are, you know, not in the Hall of Fame and most likely will never be in the Hall of Fame. I think McGuire might at some point. But the price is really high because the buyers of those cards are those that remember the excitement that they had as a kid for them. Not necessarily that they strung along, you know, 3,000 hits or, you know, 500 home runs or whatever, but they remember the exciting, captivating moments. Now, you're a Conseco fan. Are you also a McGuire fan? Oh, yeah. I, I love McGuire, but, I mean, it, it wasn't anything where I was wanting to, you know, collect anything of his. So, you know, for me, just kind of, you know, buttoning up, you know, the answer for your, your original question, you know, when I came back into collecting as an adult, I, first of all, went after everything that I, that I remember loving, like complete sets and all these other cards, and then I ended up becoming more of a dealer, uh, and after a while, um, yeah, I, I use the term dealer, you know, loosely. It's a you know a, a pseudo dealer, a dealer wannabe, whatever you want to call them. Uh, but uh, after a while, I said, you know, I want to try to collect Canseco and do something special with the collection. And you know, so I hit it hard for about three years, I think, or so, and just uh, it was it was awesome. It was an incredible ride. I just loved the heck out of it. Why don't you tell us a story of actually how you met Canseco and you went to his house? Yeah, uh, sure. So I uh, you know, started thinking a while. I was actually coming back on my way from a baseball card show, and I really just kind of had a fun time doing like uh, writing these articles for you know my website, and then wowing people with, for instance, like custom work or you know big acquisitions I made to you know, resell or whatever. But thinking, what's the next big thing I could do? And so. I started thinking about it, like, what if I could do, like, a private signing with Canseco? And so that obviously was in part for it's to excite everybody else, but mainly it was me. It was, yeah, <laughs> that's what I wanted to do, you know. So uh, it took a long time to go back and forth with his manager. But uh, ultimately, we were able to set something up, and, uh, you know, he invited us over to his house. So my family and I, you know, hung out with Jose at his house for the afternoon, and you know, he signed a whole bunch of stuff for me, a bunch of uh, pieces that I created, as well as, you know, wear a bunch of jerseys and hats and gloves, uh, so that way I can create more custom cards for my collection that had, like, player-worn pieces. And then, so they weren't going to be getting used, but at least I could have, like, player-worn pieces of jerseys from his time with, like, the Blue Jays and Rangers, Red Sox, and you know, all the other teams he's on, because for the most part, the card companies, they... they put out cars that are just basically him as a uh, member of the A's that has like mm-hmm. patches and everything. Now you, ma- you make uh, your own baseball cards, right? You create cards? Yes. So then uh, Jeff and I just have to send you a picture and uh, we'll get our own card made, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, it's, it's fun. It's, it's great to be able to do these, especially for, uh, you know, my favorite I do, aside from the Conseco cards from my own collection, which I haven't done in any while, um, but are the, the family cards that I've done for people. I've done cards with the Jumbo jerseys or patches or whatever for, uh, you know, parents that have kids in Little League, as well as signatures from checks of people's uh, grandparents. 
You know, it's a, you know, it's amazing. The internet is an amazing thing because, you know, Jeff was Jeff was tooling around the internet, and he found you. He found your book, and, and it's just you have so much on there, and the whole. I mean, each website that you find and yours is 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 incredible. It's incredible, yeah. And and I didn't even know it existed, and now I, that's I keep. TanManBaseballFan.com. I've I've already told today five people about it because I said you gotta check this out. You've gotta see this website. It's amazing to me. And and on it, you've got your blog. You you do a podcast. So all right, tell us about your podcast. Yeah. So you know, it just started probably a couple months ago, and and again, I use the term podcast very very loosely. Okay, because ultimately what happened was. Uh, you know, what I do at night is I go on a, a walk, and I'll listen to uh, podcasts uh, as I'm walking, and I'll just be thinking normally about baseball cards. <laughs> and uh, I was listening to this one guy, uh, and his name's Gary V. You may or may not have heard of him. He's pretty big in our hobby these days. And uh, you know, he, he has some great business content. And I'm, I'm a website developer, I'm you know business owner, so his content is very valuable. So one of the things that he suggested was, you know, hey, do a podcast. Basically, what are you waiting for? Don't worry about all the, you know, oh, I have to do this, that, and you have all the logistics. Download the app, uh, install it, and start talking. And so I'm walking around my neighborhood like at, you know, 10 or 11 at night. And I go, you know, I'm going to do it. So I stop that podcast. I download the, the app. I install it. I click record and I start talking. <laughs> and so that's really it. And so almost every night as I go out and walk, I'll, you know, open up the uh, podcast uh, app on my phone and uh, click record and just start talking into it about baseball cards. And that's really about it. So it's not a high polished thing. You're not going to have any, you know, music or fireworks starting at the beginning with an, you know, fancy high polished intro. In fact, wherever you hear my podcast, you're going to hear me probably out of breath because I'm walking a couple miles. So it's, it's nothing really, you know, high quality. It's just something fun to be able to, you know, talk, uh, talk into. Oh, it sounds like, yeah. it sounds like us. Yeah, exactly, right. <laughs> it's us. As a matter of fact, so, so I'm sure that, that, uh, the podcast, I, in addition to this other podcast, uh, the guy you mentioned who I hadn't heard of, the other podcast that you listened to, uh, first and foremost is baseball and barbecue. I, I know of course, that. Of course. Oh, of course. So, right, okay. I'm glad to hear <laughs> Tanner, you are obviously a, uh, I was, I, an expert on uh, baseball cards. Now, I collected them when I was a kid. Uh, I'm not sure if uh, Len did. Oh, I, well, I you said did? I did. Yeah, I okay. collected them. I scaled them. I, yeah, yeah, right. I, I collected I remember going to the store and, and buying the... Three, it was like oh, yeah. in a cellophane, like three, oh. three uh, in a uh, That was package. the best. Yeah. Yes. But, but I there was no gum in those. No, there was no gum in there those. There was no gum, but you got a lot of cards. So uh, my question to you is, is I guess the, the top of the line, uh, with, uh, tops, tops is the, 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 the creme of the creme of, of baseball cards, but you also have Fleer and Dunruss and Upper Deck and those, I remember getting them in cereal boxes and all that stuff. Uh, is Topps the most collectible, or is it just depends on the card? Yeah, so, so nowadays, uh, what you have is you have three uh, card companies, for the most part, that make baseball cards. You have uh, Topps and Panini and Leaf. So for those of your listeners that you know haven't really 
heard a whole lot about baseball cards since, you know, the 1990s. The landscape has completely changed. Out of the three that are making cards now, Topps is the only one that has a license to use logos, that sort of thing. So they are certainly have a much, much, much larger following than the others because what you might see is, let's say, let's take Mike Trout, for instance. You have a 2019 Topps Museum Mike Trout card that's an autograph with a patch on it versus a 2019 Panini Flawless Mike Trout versus a 2019 Leaf, you know, whatever they're doing, Mike Trout. So all of those cards would probably be quite beautiful, but the difference would be that Panini and Leaf would have to airbrush out the logos. And so because of that, it's not nearly as uh, interesting to a lot of folks out there compared to the Topps offering. Now, for me personally, I don't really care a whole lot about that myself. When it comes to my Conseco collection, for instance, uh, some of my favorite cards are Panini and Leaf, even though I've got like a top, you know, wood one of one and some super fractors and a bat knob and that sort of thing. I still really love some of these Paninis and Leafs because I'm really more into uh, two things. Number one, the design of the card, and number two, the actual material that's used in the card itself. Now, tell, tell me if he's either very giving or insane, but Jeff found unopened packs of cards. What were they, uh, from the 90s? Probably the 80s. Were they tops? They are probably tops. Okay, unopened. He just took them and he sent them to someone he knows to give to his child without opening them. What, what could he have been uh, giving away as far, well, you, what well, year? Well, let's just say, it, it was, I have a couple of complete sets from the 80s, so it wasn't those. Right, but it, this was, these were unopened packs. Wax, wax packs. Right. Do they have value, unopened packs? Yeah, so, you know, let me, let me tell you a little bit about something that is actually probably going to be quite new to your, uh, to your audience here. So what's been happening, this is what's happened for me at least, I know for a lot of people in the last few years here. First of all, when it comes to, uh, I'm sure you all are familiar with the term the junk wax era, correct? Mm-hmm, yep. Okay. And so just for everybody else that's listening that doesn't, you know, it's typically going to be between 87 and 92, and the reason why they call it the junk wax era is because all kinds of cards, like millions of each card were produced, uh, literally millions. Like, even at the point of 1991 tops, I think it was reported possibly 4 million of each in every card was created. So, uh, to answer your question, um, are packs uh, going to be valuable, like what's going on in there? It depends on the year of the card. So, for instance, like a pack of 1985 tops will certainly be more, more valuable than a pack of 88 tops. You know, I'm not sure exactly what the price is per pack. I do know that 88 tops, for instance, though, can be like you know, 10 or 20 cents. <laughs> so, uh, prices have gone down. Uh, for some of those, but they've been down for quite a while. Now, with that said, uh, there is a tremendous amount of collectability when you have a full box of cards uh, that's unopened when they're uh, authenticated as being SASD, which means from a sealed case. If you have a wax box that's from a sealed case that's authenticated typically by BBCE, those boxes can be worth quite a bit. So, I'll give you an example. So 1980 tops. You, you could probably get the set for, uh, I don't know. Let me, let me take a look real quick here. 1980, 
top complete set. I'm going to guess probably sixty, seventy, eighty dollars. So yeah, so there's one here for a uh, starting bid of sixty dollars, and it says our best offer. There's another one for one hundred and ten dollars best offer. So you know the complete set. You know, you're going to get the Ricky Henderson rookie. You're going to get the earlier Nolan Ryan and all these other cards out there. Um, now, if you have a 1980 top wax box that's from a sealed case, you're looking about $2,500. Wow. Well, yeah, so there's a big difference. Yeah, I don't know if I'm from a steel case. <laughs> no, I'm hoping they weren't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, packs are going to be okay for the most part because a lot of people are, would be worried that They've been opened, searched, and resealed because it's easy to do that sort of thing. Mm. Um, so, yeah, but for the most part, if you're looking in the 80s for packs, I mean, you're, you're going to be safe. I mean, that's, that's really, that, that's what I think they should be giving the kids. You know, I think it's a, just a blast to be yeah. able to do that for people. Yes, well, you did the right thing, Jeff. And, and, well, yes, yeah. well, you I, did. I hope he enjoys them. <laughs> so, Tanner, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you that as I'm looking at the, the first thing that came to mind as I'm looking at your website besides the brilliance of it is this guy is the pt barnum of baseball cards what i mean by that is you know pt barnum was a showman and he created you know he took a this old woman and he said that she was george washington's nursemaid and then he you know of course he had um tom thumb and he did the whole thing with it i mean you know he took these you on your site are taking items like the the card you put on ebay or there was something i saw where you you issued a press release and all of a sudden you made it like this was the right he, uh, he came up with your own issue i forget what your you, you own <laughs> issue of cards is that yeah t- tell us that? what are, you know better than us what, what are we talking about <laughs> okay so uh well there's a number of stories that's come up with here uh that been gags to be able to just, you know, yeah. get people to laugh and everything. Right. So, yeah, I guess I, I'll tell you kind of one of my most recent ones that happened uh, this past uh, April Fool's, which, by the way, I've got to get ready for another April Fool's gag because it's coming up here, I guess. But, um, uh, when do you start, you start planning? Sorry, you start planning now? Is that, <laughs> is it yeah, like with only, Christmas decorations? You put them up in advance? <laughs> Yeah, I only have a few months here, you know. But anyway, uh, no. Last year um, was a fun one because I don't know if you all if you all know this or not. And but Alvin Ginter, first of all, beautiful cards, you know, great cards. The most highly sought after cards in Alvin Ginter are typically going to be the wooden one of ones. So they'll have the many cards that are made completely out of wood. Have you all ever seen those? No, but when you say one of ones, it's just one card that's never been produced. Is that that's correct? Uh, correct. Yeah, there's no other cards that have been made except for that one. Right. So, you know, one of ones are obviously, you know, typically going to be the most sought after cards in all of the, the hobbies. So, um, Alan and Ginter, you know, Tops would create these these wood mini one of ones, and they would feed them, you know, one per whatever, you know, several cases or whatever. So they're, they're a big, big deal. And so because of that, people buying a bunch of these boxes like they always do. They've been creating Alan Ginter cards since 2006. So, uh, you know, what people are accustomed to is, you know, the, they're hoping to get a wood one of one. Problem is, 2018, people kept opening, opening, opening. They're like, what the heck? The wood one of one's here. What's going on? So the entire release 
happens. We're, and we're sitting here in 2020. Nobody really knows where those one-of-one woods are. Like, an entire run. There have been a few that have trickled out into the hobby through rip cards and that sort of thing. But for the most part, the number one biggest hit in Allen and Ginter for 2018 is nowhere to be found. So, what I did was I wrote this huge elaborate article of uh, how I went to, you know, purchase a collection from somebody and one of them had a case of uh, 2018 Allen and and I opened it up and guess what happened, guys? Every single pack had a wood, one of one. <laughs> and because I'm, a, you know, I'm big into Photoshop, I actually Photoshopped it to make it look like I was showing pictures of every single one of them. And so, you know, I got a lot of people on that gag and they go, oh, what's going on? You know, because if that happened, that case would have been worth tens of thousands of dollars. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so I love doing that stuff just, just to get a rise out of people so that way people can laugh and, you know, have a good time. I don't want to obviously upset anybody. I always come clean at the end. I always do. But, um, you know, it's just, it's fun to be able to entertain people. Yeah. What's your most valuable card that you have? I mean, it, uh, you know, I'm monetarily. I'm sorry? Monetarily. Uh, probably the 52 Tops Mantle. Ooh. And what's that worth? Uh, well, it's going to depend on, uh, you know, condition on, on what it is worth. Like for mine, probably around 10 grand. Wow. Okay. That's pretty good. Yeah. Pretty, pretty good. Yeah, I mean, you've got uh, two kids. They're going to have to go to college, so... Uh, <laughs> and your your wife was very supportive of of this hobby of yours. Yeah, I mean, you know, she uh, she's not like, hey, let's go to the baseball card shop this weekend or whatever. But uh, you know, when it comes to uh, vintage, I think of this more of an investment because I really look very hard at pricing and you know where the values are going on certain cards, and I try to purchase cards that I see as being undervalued. The 52 Tops Mantle, obviously not undervalued. You know, it's, 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 you know, it's, it's the number one, there's, it's not going to be a breakout card in 2020, but it's always going to, you know, most likely go up. What I do look at, for instance, is, you know, 1919 W514 Babe Ruth or the 1910 E90-2 Honest Wagner. I think a couple of those are vastly underpriced right now. Uh, so I picked up one of each of those. I think I look at it more as an investment for the vintage stuff anyways. Now, when it comes to the Conseco stuff, I don't really see it as much of an investment as I do pure enjoyment. But with that said, I enjoy the heck out of vintage also. I really do. Well, it sounds like when you're looking for an investment in baseball, it, it actually you actually sound like a stockbroker who's looking for undervalued assets and, and try to get you know a top dollar for it. That's a great way to look at it. Yeah, well, I mean, even the uh, boxes that are from a sealed case that I talked to you about, um, I started buying one of each. And, and I'll tell you this, I mean, I'm not, it's not all about money for me on this because if I didn't have a love for it, I wouldn't be doing this at all. But almost all of the boxes I, that I purchased from, you know, probably a couple of years ago, they've almost all doubled in value as of then. And uh, you know, I really think that there's still a lot more room to grow on them also, you know. So, yeah, it's kind of like stocks because, you know, you're looking at almost like, you know, hey, what has the most potential to grow. But with that said, I think the majority of people that do that with cards are going to be with the new guys, like the new prospects, and I don't even touch those. Yeah, you know, I just care for things I really care about. I don't really care about the, you know, next 16-year-old that did really well and, you know, his high school World Series game or whatever. I don't really care about that. I 
Now, we, we're, we're also fans of Negro League baseball. We've had some people on to talk about the, you know, the Negro Leagues. And was there ever any cards or anything? For, do you know? I, I know this is maybe totally off topic, but do you know of any cards or anything that they would have for their league? Um, yeah, so, you know, I, I know that they did make some. I don't know. It's like the only, my, the majority of my expertise on, you know, anything that has to do with Negro Leagues would be, you know, like the, the 48 Leagues Jack, Jackie Robinson mm-hmm. uh, rookie or, you know, the 49 Leaf and Bowman Satchel Page rookie. And that's obviously Major League Baseball card. Right. So that's, right. uh, okay. that doesn't uh, work. But uh, one thing that's interesting is there's a, uh, Oh, I'm going to get this wrong. I think one of your uh, avid vintage listeners is probably going to you know, be, be screaming at their, uh, at their radio when they're listening. <laughs> yeah. um, there's like a 1933 Z-Net, I think it's what it was called, uh, card. And so there's a guy, if I remember correctly, and I'm probably butchering all this, but his name is Jimmy Claxton, and if I remember correctly. And so... He, uh, you know, he actually played some baseball or something, but they found out that he was half black, I think. And so they tried to pull the card. So apparently it's a really rare one. I think they kicked him out of baseball. I don't even know if he played like a real major league team or not, but fascinating, just fascinating history that we have. And I mean, it's, it's really a shame that, you know, we didn't allow uh, blacks in baseball until like uh, 47, 48, whenever it was, right. but, um, because there's so much talent, I mean, that, that we uh, missed out on. Oh yeah, well that so, we're yeah. yeah we couldn't agree more, and that's you know we try to promote the uh, by by talking about I think the uh, you know the Negro Leagues and having people on and talking about it, it brings attention to something that was wrong, extremely wrong. But it's it's a shame. You're right, definitely a shame. The book is called Confessions of a Baseball Card Addict, and. It's a, it's a great book. Tanner Jones is the author, and Tanner, one of the I really enjoyed the book. One of the best chapters I enjoyed was chapter nine, when how, how to become a super collector, because you give your advice on how, how to do it. Because it's not just like you said before, not about the money. It's about the love of the hobby, and you give such great advice, like uh, how to, to to reach out, how you do it, uh, do it on eBay. You check you check misspellings that you said Canseco. You got a couple of those cards because it was it was spelled wrong. Uh, this one, do not ruin other people's deals and always be curious and don't mad about the competition. That is great advice, especially uh, if you want to get into the hobby. Yeah, there's. I'll tell you what, there's a lot of opportunities uh, to badmouth your uh, competition. And you know, I've, uh, recently I unfortunately had somebody that uh, tried to steal a card out from underneath me. You know, so it's, uh, but you know, I'm, uh, I'm keeping my mouth shut right now and uh, not going to say anything. I'm just thankful I got the card. But, uh, yeah, it does happen, and there's a lot of horrible stuff out there, so I really want to encourage everybody out there to not be that person, you know, to remember that this is a hobby, you know, and don't try to, you know, stab people in the back or whatever. Let's keep this fun for everybody. Let's, let's enjoy this. Right. How has the uh, how has the Internet changed the hobby? I mean, when I was growing up, obviously, you didn't have all this, this stuff, but now with the Internet, it must change. I know Topps has a, it's, it's online baseball cards. So how has that changed changed the industry? Oh gosh, I mean it's uh, it's it's basically made it a different hobby. <laughs> you know, um, one of the things that sticks out to me, and obviously this is, I mean, look, this would collection would be way, way, way different than it is now if we didn't have the internet. 
And one of the things I keep thinking about as we're talking here is how back when I was younger, pre-internet, looking for cards and everything, you know, you know what the the ultimate thing to do was to get an autograph of your favorite player. And now, you, you know, you don't really even, you know, if somebody says, hey, I've got a, an autograph of Griffey, you know, you don't have everybody going, oh, wow, that's awesome. You go, oh, okay, cool. Uh, because it's not a thing anymore to have an autograph of one person. It's a thing to have a hundred autographs of one person. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, uh, and, and the internet has really, really, really made it super easy to track down cards. And I'll give you an example. I think this was 2016 or 17. A high-end release of Tops by the name of Tier 1 came out. And there were three, if I remember correctly, big one-of-ones of Conseco. Within, I, I documented this in my book, I don't remember exactly, so I'm kind of guessing. Uh, but like within a week or something, everybody that, every single one of those three cards were pulled and were my collection because people reached out to me. And none of that would have happened uh, if it weren't for the internet. Mm-hmm. Tanner, how many times has somebody, you know, they find out what you do or they see your site and you hear them say, oh, my mother threw my collection out. How many times have you heard that? Yeah. <laughs> you know, there's there's not a whole lot of that that I hear anymore. I heard that a lot more 10, 15 years ago. Nowadays, I hear, I still have my collection and I'm looking to throw it away. <laughs> <laughs> so, because they're from, you know, the 80s, 90s. I have a childhood collection. I had a, a guy that I was friends with in high school and we didn't talk for like, gosh, 20 plus years. He reached out to me, I want to say a couple weeks ago or so. And he's like, hey, Tanner, I don't know if you all follow me on Facebook or whatever, but, you know, I post all kinds of memes. Like, I just do that all. Yeah, no, I do. I follow you. And, uh, yeah, it's, uh, I, I know I get a lot of people are like, you know, man, this is, this guy's nuts or whatever. But, you know, this guy from high school uh, reached out to me and goes, man, Tanner, love what you do. I know we haven't talked for 20 plus years, but please, I would love, love, love to send you my childhood collection. Huh? You go, well, wait, what? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was like, no, man, you don't have to do that. Thanks so much. I appreciate it. I'd be happy to help you sell it or something. He goes, no, Tanner, I want to send it to you. You can do whatever you want. I don't want a dime from it. I just want you to enjoy this collection. And yeah, I, I thought that was so nice. I mean, it's such a neat thing. So these cards came in Christmas Eve. And so I told them, I said, hey, Travis, I'll tell you what, I'm going to wrap these and I'm going to put these under the tree. I'm going to open them <laughs> for Christmas. And so, and it was so fun. Like you're looking at these binders and you see, you can tell number one that they weren't binders that were made for baseball cards. They had stickers of clear from the flip packs on them. They had the tabs inside the pages because they were in order by team. You know, most of them were a nice clear, a nice score, ninety dollars, that sort of thing. So you know, it's you know not a you know not a millionaire collection or anything like that uh, by any stretch of imagination. But it was so neat to be able to see a glimpse into somebody's childhood, and that's what baseball cards are great for. Is that they've marked a lot of our childhoods for those of us that grew up in the eighties, and uh, probably most of those in the eighties because of the spike that happened in the baseball card boom. But, uh, you know, gosh, it was a blast. I, I really just enjoy the heck out of it. You know, it's funny because you became a fan of Conseco, and you're telling that, you told that story about how you 
won the uh, Oral Hershiser cards from your friend. And when I was a kid, my dad's name is Stanley. <laughs> and so there was a Yankee, and I, w- I wasn't a Yankee fan, but his name's Mike Stanley. And I remember as a kid, I was in, the, I was in my basement, friend of mine, we're scaling cards or whatever, and I didn't realize I accidentally scaled Mike Stanley and I lost. Oh. Now, all right, Mike Stanley, I mean, you know, respectable career, I guess, but, you know, not not, uh, not anyone that if you're not a, you know, he's not someone that people are going to know. And I was so upset, and I'm begging my friend, please, oh, you got to, I can't, I got, that's my, Mike Stanley, I can't lose that card. And, you know, of course, he doesn't know why I want this Mike Stanley card. And then maybe I said, oh, come on, that's my dad's name. I, I got to get the card back. And I think I must have had to trade like a Hank Aaron and a, <laughs> I mean, something crazy <laughs> to get to get this card back. When I think about it, what a fool I was. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, we've all been there. We've all had to, you know, double back at some point or another for for card and, you know, trade more than... I still have a couple of bins uh, of baseball cards in my collection. Uh, I let, uh, every once in a while, I can go through them, but they will be going down to my son and hopefully down to his son uh, in, in the years to come. Tanner, uh, well, thank you for your time. I really appreciate it. The book is called Confessions of a Baseball Card Addict. And where could you find find the book? Uh, Amazon is uh, probably the best way to go. Right, and you could get it on your Kindle. And you get on Kindle, which is great, and it's uh, it's right. It's the it's the least expensive version. Not that it's expensive, but it's great on your Kindle because you could just scroll right through and go to. It's not something you need to read in order, so you could just go to different stories. And can they get the uh, book on your website? Yeah, there's actually a link to Amazon. But you know, if anybody wants to, by the way, you can email me directly. Terrific. Tanner, I appreciate you uh, taking the time. Thank you for being a guest on Baseball at BBQ. This was a lot of fun, Tanner. Thank you very much. Yeah, well, it was nice talking to you. I appreciate you having me. Thank you to Tanner Jones. Really appreciate him taking the time to speak to us about his baseball cards. Yeah, I really appreciate the, the interview. But now I'm thinking to myself, how much money have I lost from not keeping those well, cards. I think a lot of us have said that. <laughs> right. <laughs> so thank you, Tanner, for also uh, making me extremely depressed. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> and with that, we are going to close this podcast with a song from uh, a couple of our new uh, favorite listeners here. Well, and not only that, but this is now probably my new favorite song. Yes. And it is called Baseball Always Brings You Home. And it is by Shel Krakowski and Dave Dresser. Till then, we'll see you next time. See ya.
best of all.